Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the BeyondTheMic.com Starline by an award-winning author, world champion sailor, and an Olympian. Her latest novel, Ferry to Cooperation Island, is available for pre-order now at a retailer near you. Carol Newman-Cronin, welcome. Thank you very much, Sean. It's great to be here. Let's go beyond the mic. You live in Rhode Island, went to Connecticut College. How has your time near the water influenced your path? Well, I've always been most comfortable near the water. I actually get a little antsy if I come to places away from the coast. And so I tend to live here, stay here, sail here, and went to college in a place where I could see the water from my dorm room. Talk about the first time you were on the water and how that single moment changed your life. Well, I actually don't remember the first moment I was on the water because I was 10 days old. Really? My parents' boat had arrived the same day I was born, and I was child number three, so the boat was kind of more exciting at that point than maybe I was. (laughs) At 10 days, they decided I was ready for my first adventure and took me out on the boat with them. Then, what was the first moment on the water that you actually do remember? That's a good question. I don't have a specific moment that I come back to, but I do remember growing up, one of the first strong memories I have was getting sent off by myself in our small dinghy, learning to sail that way. And that sense of independence, being able to steer my own course as a four or five-year-old was really, really exciting. The marine industry always seems to fight back every year. Hurricanes, it comes back. Bad fishing, it comes back. What makes the marine industry so resilient? I think the marine industry is resilient because the people who are in it are in it for the passion and not necessarily for the money. So true. Yes, they're trying to make a living at it, but the passion comes first. It just rolls over into everything we do. I know a lot of people who work in the industry and they all love to be on the water and that's the first thing they do when they have a chance. So I really think that makes for a strong business model. Obviously, it has to be tempered with the making money part as well, but that's why I think it's so strong. Your latest novel, Ferry to Cooperation Island, deals with a loner ferry captain who, after losing his job, protects an island from over-the-top development. Yes, it does. James Malloy is a ferry captain who has to team up with the woman who steals his job. So there's a little bit of a love element as well as a protect your home and work together element, and I'm very excited about it. It's such a rich and engaging story. Now, where did you get the idea for Britain Island? Was it a specific place you've been to or an amalgamation of places? It's more of an amalgamation. You know, I think we all fantasize about creating more coastline. I actually got to do it with this book. I've done a lot of sailing and cruising around to different islands here in New England, and This one, it was kind of a, I wanted to create my own rather than copy a specific place that other people had been to, because that way I could create places that had to carry the story forward. There's a monument, as you know, and being limited to an actual island would have been less fun and maybe a little harder to to write the story. Courtney Ferris is young, engaging, and quite the irritant to your lone wolf character, James (laughs) Malloy. It sounds like you it sounds like you enjoyed the book. I did. Now, how did the characters change from the first thoughts, like, I want her to be like this, to the final draft where you finally, you know, had everything fleshed out? Well, without giving too much away about the, about the story, I think Courtney first came to me as a woman who knows boats but is still very insecure about her own knowledge. And she grew to be... A little bit more of an irritant than I expected, actually. I was thinking she was going to sort of save the world, and instead she comes in and throws her weight around and has to learn to to work with people almost as much as James does. 
So there's some change there as the book went on as I was writing and also throughout the story. Talk about the self-motivation it takes to sail a boat as well as write a book. As someone who's written plenty of stuff that has never seen anyone but my eyes, it takes a lot to put yourself out there. Yes, it does. And there's a, there's a lot of different pieces to it. There's the actually having the motivation to finish a story that's hard enough on its own. But what I've learned over the course of writing four books is that you're just getting started when you finish the story because then you have to go back and edit it into something where you can actually draw out what you were trying to say. First drafts are notoriously messy and at least for my own first draft, there's always a lot of stuff on the page that shouldn't be there that I had to write out to find out where I was actually going. Trying to get better about that with the next book, but it seems to be part of the process. It's not efficient, that's for sure. As coronavirus has us all quarantining for the near future, there's plenty of news noise. How has your experience in boating, as well as your Olympic experience, helped keep you focused? Wow, that's I need to think about that one for a minute. Combination of things. I've lived on small boats before, and so I'm familiar with the idea of kind of taking care of the space you're in and being a little bit confined. I actually did a transatlantic back in the 80s, 21 days on the same boat with my parents and one other person. And that teaches you a lot about getting along with people you're around. That's helped me. I also think that it's being part of a team. And if we look at the world right now as one big team, I think that we all need to help each other stay healthy get better. That's the only way to to go forward in the long run. Now, how can we continue to focus while the waves of COVID-19 keep crashing down around the world? Well, I think there's a couple of things and it's different for everyone. And it's different. I think my answer is different than it would have been a couple of weeks ago when we thought maybe this was going to be a shorter thing than it is now. We've settled in a little bit more for into new habits. Helping each other and continuing to be positive is at times hard, but we'll get through this. It's part of it is controlling what you can control. We can't control how long we're stuck inside, but we can control our own approach to it and try to keep doing things every day that make us happy and support our mental health. And that's going to be the long-term success route for me. Here in Rhode Island, we are able to get out on the water with our paddle boards and as spring comes up, that's really crucial to me. We haven't been able to go sailing. Hopefully that will change in the next month or so. But for now, it's paddleboards. That is a great, both mental and physical exercise for me. Well, you bring up control. As a sailor, you're dependent on the wind instead of a motor. How has giving up that control prepared you for a moment like quarantine and and this once-in-a-lifetime moment like this? I think the biggest piece of being a sailor and the way it's helped me learn to deal with this strange time that we're living through is being able to adjust to changes in circumstance. As sailors, we're really trained to adjust our sails to the wind. I mean, that's even a a metaphor for making the best of what you have. Another lemons to lemonade kind of metaphor, same idea. Sailors are trained to do that. If we get a, a shift or a puff, we have to adjust. That's been a key part of learning to make the best of this strange new world that we find ourselves in. Every time you do an interview, they talk about the 2004 games. I don't want to talk about the sailing, the problems that you guys had, the big wins or the disappointment. I want to ask you something more raw. Talk about the pride putting on the stars and stripes, knowing that you're representing 
your country. You're representing the USA. Well, I have the same story as any other Olympic athlete you'll talk to about walking into the opening ceremonies and realizing when you hear that chant, USA, USA, just how big that is. But I also have another more personal story as a sailor. To get to the race course, you have to sail out. It's about a 10 or 15 minute sail out to where the racing will take place. And the first thing that you do for any regatta is you check in with the race committee that are on a boat anchored, ready to start. And that's how you check in for each day of sailing. And usually at regattas, the way you do that is you go and you call up your sail number, which is USA 341 in our case. And for the Olympics, those numbers are all taken off. And the only thing you have on your sail is your country code. So the first morning of the Olympics, we sailed out. And I said up to the race committee, good morning, USA. And that was all. And it was such a chilling moment. It was just, it just made me realize here we are and we're the only Americans on this race course. And that's really cool. You said, quote, nobody forced me to buy three boats, fundraise, find scholarship and teammates and go on the road 200 days a year for a very unguaranteed reward, unquote. So... What drives you? What motivates you? Well, I think a lot of it was really just a real hunger to get better at a sport that I loved. And that first propelled me into college sailing and then after college into sailing the snipe class, which I'm still sailing. It's a double-handed boat. And then from the snipe, I realized, wow, I'm kind of good at this. And even though I hadn't started off as a skipper, I actually do a pretty good job of collecting people as teammates who I enjoy sailing with and who seem to keep coming back for more and enjoying sailing with me. And so when this opportunity came up to start my own Olympic campaign, that seemed like the next step. And it was more of a, I want to get better at this and I want to put the time in originally than it really was a, I want to go to the Olympics, although that's obviously a a big part of it. I think that made it a little bit easier to focus on a day-to-day, again, what you can control and getting a little better every day rather than the end result of we're going to go to the Olympics, which is there's way too many variables to uh, really focus on that, especially at the beginning. As you're being interviewed for this book, did you ever think, man, how did I get here? Every day. I think that every day. I don't even have to be interviewed (laughs) to get to that point. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey. And, And the transition from Olympic sailing and then publishing now four books, getting to talk to people like you who otherwise they never would have even known about. It's really been a lot of fun and what gets me out of bed in the morning. As an Olympian, you're trained to peak at the perfect time, the time of the games. With the Olympic postponement, do friends of yours right now, how do they deal with such a break in their training? A reset button's been pressed. How do they get ready to train so they can be peak at the right time? So as a 2004 Olympian, I like to think that the athletes who were planning to peak for this coming July, peaking for next July will be different, but they're just going to keep doing the same thing they've been doing, getting up each day and trying to figure out how to best prepare for something that's been pushed back now and will be about 15 months from now. But I think the harder question is how do you train? when you can't go sailing true, um, and can't go to the gym. And that's, 
that's the thing I feel the, the worst for people about is that they, yes, I'm frustrated because I can't go sailing, but it's not determining the next year and a half of my life. It's not determining whether I win a medal or not. Fortunately, I mean, to some extent, everybody across the world is in this time out. And so it's not like people are losing ground relative to their competition, but it still is a, a major psychological and physical challenge to keep yourself fit and ready to go sailing. Very, you're right. Even though you don't know when that's going to be. We have a new date for the Olympics, which is great, but people don't know when they're going to be able to start training again or when regattas are going to start happening again. And that's that's a major thing to deal with. And I just feel really badly for everybody. Now, when you gave your book to your first reader and you're sitting them watching them read, how nerve-wracking is that? It's totally nerve-wracking. It's totally nerve-wracking. I have to walk away, actually. My husband is my first reader. So he actually read this book long before I should have shown it to anyone. And he loved it. And there was a lot of stuff in it. I had to leave the house because there were, you know, there, it obviously took him more than, more than just one day. But I, I had to sort of steal myself to the fact that he's reading. And then I'd hear him chuckle and I'd be like, what's that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Try not to interrupt. <laughs> and then you're trying to figure out, well, where's he at now? <laughs> but the cool thing was, and the reason I keep giving him copies of, of my work, is that he'll tell me, he'll share something with me about what he noticed. And it's usually totally unexpected, especially the first, if it's the first time, if it's early in this process. You know, by the time you read it, there have been a lot of first-time readers who had given me some feedback, including my agent and many other people, as well as some reviewers. But early in the process, I don't know what's going to stand out and what people are going to react to. And, and so it's always fun to, to hear his comments about, sometimes they spark an, a, another idea. In sailing, you have to have your mainsail and jib in the right place at the right time. It takes opportunity, experience, and a little bit of luck. How has your life changed since leaving sailing for writing? Well, I didn't leave sailing, actually. I just changed uh, tack, if you will. <laughs> I retired from Olympic sailing in 2007. And a couple of years later, I bought a snipe, which is a double-handed class that sailed around the, around the country and around the world. I've actually been to a couple of regattas in Texas. Started out for 30 years, started out as a crew, and then started skippering in the around, right around late 90s, I guess. And that's actually part of what gave me the confidence to step up to this whole Olympic challenge and run my own program. So I'm back in that class and sailing actively, still doing world championships and also local regattas. Unfortunately, for 2020, everything's been postponed until 2021. So it's going to be all local sailing this year. From the America's Cup to the Olympics, it's not about winning one race, but the entire regatta. Now, how much patience did you have to learn from the first time you took a boat out to now? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, one of the things I like to tell people is that we won two races at the 2004 Olympics. And in a lot of a lot of sports, I'd have two gold medals. Instead, I had a 10th place because it's all cumulative from 16 races. You don't get a medal for each race the way you do in some sports. So it does take a lot of patience, and it makes you look at the bigger picture in the longer term. And uh, that's something that comes with age and maturity, but also with training. All of your books have happy endings. It's just what you do. Is that a juxtaposition of your life? Well, I'm a pretty happy person, and I, I like things to end well. And so when the world is within my control, as it is when I'm writing a book, that's how all my stories are ever going to end. 
Now, how has your family helped you going from wool gathering to writing? Well, my grandmother was a novelist. So I grew up watching her. Uh, in those days, she would type everything and on a manual typewriter and then eventually on an electric typewriter when she really got modern. And then it actually late in her life, her last couple of books were written on a computer because she stepped up to that. And it, it made it possible for her to keep writing a little bit later than she might have otherwise. So I had this idea that books came from somewhere. And my parents always encouraged me. I'm sure you noticed the dedication in the book that my parents have, have been very supportive both of my imagination and also uh, by taking me places that have inspired some of my fiction. They've been supportive as well. And I can't wait to show them the final version of this book. You've been invited to many classrooms to speak to many classes. How does that contact help you? I love going and talking to, to fifth and sixth graders about writing and about books. They have the best questions, and they have this incredible sense of story that they don't even realize. One of the things I like to do with kids is I bring in a, a chart, either our local area or an area that they know well that's local to them, and we simulate writing a story by moving a little model sailboat from one area of the chart to another. So I'll ask them to come up with a come up with a starter for a story about it, and it's usually about a character that, that's in a book that we've both read. And they'll come up with something, and we'll move the the boat a little bit on the chart so they can see progress. And about halfway through this process, I'll say, "Is that the end of the story?" And they all say no, and they're absolutely certain. It's such a fun thing to see minds that haven't really figured out how to put stories on paper yet have this sense of things aren't over. And most of them also like to think and write about pirates, so that's also been fun. (laughs) You've served on the United States Olympic Sailing Committee. What's the future of U.S. sailing? Well, we're in a little bit of a drought right now, metal-wise, at the Olympics, and I like to think we'll, we'll eventually come out of that, but it's going to be a hard road because other countries have gotten more competitive. It used to be we could just show up and win medals in in a lot of different classes, and that's not true anymore. There's more small countries who have figured out how to train well and are putting the time in, and uh, it's exciting for the competition, but it's a little bit frustrating for the U.S., and we're just going to have to figure out a way out of that. Time's running out, so it's time for the Rocky Nate. First answer that comes to your mind, no pressure. You've been an Olympian and a writer. What career would you do if you could start all over again? Both. <laughs> you cannot cop out on the Rocky and Eight. No cop outs allowed. <laughs> oh, a different career. Oh, okay. I don't. You're not asking me to choose between them. What would I do if I could do something different? Hmm. That is a tough one. Uh, Lifeguard. Last book other than yours that you read. Oh. The Moon Always Rising by Alice Early. Highly recommended. Favorite thing to cook? Artichoke. Now, are you a boiled artichoke kind of cook, and do you eat it with mayo? I steam artichokes. That's my preferred method, but I, I don't add anything to the water, and I just steam them until they're, they're good and tasty. Ideally, a little garlic and mayo, so aioli. Now, which of your characters of your books is the closest to you? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, oh that's a tough one. <laughs> Can I say that they all have a piece of me? Is that or is that a cop out? <laughs> that's a cop out. 
Um, I would say Casey from Game of Sales, my Olympic love story, is the closest one. There are pieces of her that I kind of wish I had. So it's not like she's a carbon copy. If you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? That's the hardest question of all so far. I'm actually, I'm pretty happy. I'm not sure I'd, uh, I'd change, change much that I can think of. Oh, I guess I might go back and, uh, and win a medal at the Olympics. That would be pretty cool. Now, what's your standard writing setup? I write best in silence and in the morning and after a good workout of some sort. Most peaceful place you ever sailed? Uh, Hadley's Harbor in Massachusetts. And the last thing you bought? Groceries pretty stressful these days (laughs) she would have been a lifeguard is a strong believer in the oxford comma and the last thing she bought was groceries her latest book ferry to cooperation island is available at your local retailer now author olympian carol newman cronin thank you so much for joining me today thanks sean this has been really fun and i love your surprise questions and that my friends is beyond the mic